This weekly broadcast is presented to you by Cornerstone Bible Center. These podcasts will be a series of in-depth studies of various books of the Bible. This study will be of the book of Leviticus. Our teacher, Alex Del Curcio, has been involved in training ministers of the gospel since 1987 and teaches in Cornerstone Bible Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you subscribe to this podcast, send us an email at in-depthbibleteaching at yahoo.com. And now here's our teacher, Alex. We're going to talk this morning about the offerings to begin with. And we're going to take our time with the offerings because there's quite a bit there. Uh, Sometimes I feel so inadequate when it comes to ministering the Word because I start to see things in the Word and I I am at a loss sometimes to to bring things out in, in language so that others can see it and understand it. But... um, how many read the first seven chapters of Leviticus this week? Very good, very good. Not so easy reading, was it? <laughs> well, let me ask you a few questions. Do you view Leviticus as these bizarre rituals? Do you see them as these gruesome uh, sacrifices, this, these, these um, traditions that they had to do, you know, written out. Do you, how do you view the book? I remember as a young Christian reading the book, and I, and I never got through it. I got through maybe a half of it, and I thought, this is what, it's too much. But later on, going back and, you know, many years later, and not just reading it, but stop there and ponder and actually study the verses. There are so many things hidden in this book, as I said, I feel at a loss to bring them out. But would you rather live in a culture that does not do animal sacrifices like they did? See, today in our culture, there is this way of looking at animals that actually places them before man, ahead of man. There are people who love their pets more than they love their neighbors. They wouldn't think twice about punching or shooting their neighbor, but as far as being kind to this animal, I mean, they would never do anything to hurt this animal. And so there are things going on today in the heart of man that do not line up with the way things were in the the Old Testament. And I don't know, God doesn't change. I'm not saying to be mean to animals, but I'm saying that this was something that they did. They weren't pets They didn't have these pet uh, sheep and pet goats. They were to bring these animals into the uh, outer court, and these animals were killed. And 
There's an ungodly, I believe, affection toward animals today that places them in the position that God has never intended. Now, in Israel, there were no animal, animal rights groups at all. See, that thinking is placed outside of the camp. The animals that they had were for a purpose, of course, for food, but for sacrifice. Very, very important to look at this animal in the correct way. Killing and seeing these animals was to awaken their sense of their own sin. Now, if an animal is your pet, you can't see that. Now, I'm relating this to them, not us. Oh, my little sheep. Why should I take that and slaughter that? When they slaughtered these animals, it was representing something to them that their sin was not to be tolerated by them. Now, we know that a holy God cannot be approached with a sinful heart. If we have sin, that must be dealt with. And the way it was dealt with here in Leviticus was the animal was brought in, and we'll get to this either today or another lesson, and the animal was tied up and killed. Right there. Blood pouring out. And the, the priest would go through this. They would catch the blood in the pan and they would do certain things with it. So this was to awaken their heart to their sin when they saw these animals being slaughtered or killed. Now the basis for fellowship with God was the sacrifice. Now, that's hard for us to, to understand today, that, that, that the basis of our fellowship was a sacrifice. Well, you know, the basis of, today of our fellowship was the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made upon the altar, the cross. And without that, that sacrifice, that blood sacrifice, there would be no fellowship with God at all for us. The Israelites had to come a little different way, all these things pointing to Christ. But the basis for the fellowship with God was still the sacrifice and, and, and what they did with it. Now, these offerings that they were going to bring were to do several things. First, as I said, they were to get their attention upon their sin. Let me ask you this. Now, the Israelites, they're coming into the outer court and they're seeing these animals being killed. They're seeing the brazen altar, representative of the death and suffering that's going to take place there. Awakens their, uh, their mind, if you will, or their spirit to their sin. What do you and I have as we go along the week? What do we have that awakens our sin like that? See, there's no brazen altar in front of your house. There's no brazen altar at church, so to speak. 
But see, God will come and he will awaken us to our sin by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in, in many different ways, through his word. But the point is that he will lay it on our heart or our conscience and he will show us our sin. He will awaken our sin to us. And that's extremely important. That's what, what the uh, sacrifices and the offerings here, it was one of the things that they were, they were um, to do. Another thing was, it was to show them that there was an answer for their sin. And the answer for their sin, or the covering, the atonement for their sin, was going to be the death of this animal. Or, as I mentioned last week, the shedding of blood had to be so. The third thing was that through this process, their hearts were going to move toward God. Very, very important. See, we can't come to God our own way. We're not going to be able to do things in our life the way we want and think that everything is okay with God. See, God will lay out certain, a certain way, a certain path for you as a Christian personally to walk. And as you do that, you will approach Him. See, your approach and my approach to God will be laid out by the personal will of God to you and to me. They had to approach a certain way going by the law, by, by these different means that God laid forth, and then also what He was showing them individually. It, it was, wasn't much different. Now, what was the basis for God receiving the offering? Now, I like to go back to Genesis because... As I said last week, this was the first uh, offering that God, God made, or He provided the offering. But I want to show you something here in Genesis 3, or Genesis 4. Now, I don't have time to, to read all this, so let me just uh, go through this quickly. Because we, we know this. In, in verse 3, chapter 4. What did Cain offer? Cain offered the fruit of the ground. Verse 4, what did uh, Abel offer? The firstlings of the flock. See, both gave an offering. One was accepted or acceptable, and the other was not. <laughs> Why was that? Hebrews 4, or excuse me, Hebrews 11.4 says that by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. So it says, by faith, Abel offered to God. What does that mean by faith? By faith in what? See, God had, had shown Adam and Eve the pattern. See, they, they did what Cain did. They sowed fig leaves. That was an offering, so to speak, of the fruit of the ground. 
But he came and he slayed an animal and covered them, which was a blood sacrifice. And Abel was able to catch that thing and understand that. And so he goes and takes the firstling of the flock and he gives to God a a blood sacrifice. Now, the reason he does that is because his heart was right. He followed the pattern that he saw. He had faith in what he had, had seen transpire that God covered his parents by this offering, the skins of this offering. And by faith, he was right with God and he went ahead and he did that. And it says in Hebrews, I think it's in Hebrews 11.4, that he was righteous. So that offering came from a righteous heart, following the pattern. But Cain, his heart was not right with God. And so he goes to the fruit of the ground and he gives God what he thinks will satisfy God. See, you cannot come to God and offer Him something He's not looking for or wants. You have to give to God that which He is laying forth in the pattern that He shows so that the offering then becomes acceptable unto Him. See, we need to follow His pattern, not what we think. Or maybe the Israelites say, well, you know, I don't really want to go down to the outer court there and go in. There's probably a line. I'll be fifth or sixth in line. I'll be waiting there for hours. So I'll just offer this uh, unspotted lamb at, at my tent door. Or I'll offer it outside. It's not accepted because it doesn't follow the pattern that God has laid forth. So we can't decide how to do this. It is laid forth by the word of God and the will of God. And as that is followed, as as Abel followed it, it was accepted. As the Israelites follow it, it is accepted. As you and I follow it, it is accepted. Now, in Romans, it says this, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. See, so, so Cain, his offering was not of faith, and it, it was sin to him. And that's why he was rejected, and God comes to him and, and basically tells him that. Now, let's turn to Leviticus 1. And we're going to look at verse 5. Now, I like this. There's some, I just want to mention this in just a minute. Let's read verse 5. And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord and and the priest. Aaron's son shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. God provides what is needed. See, he's there ready to accept the offering. But he's going to provide his people 
with that which they can offer to him. In verse 5, you will see, we just read that, that you could offer a bullock, and that would be for someone who is, I don't want to say rich, but you could say the, the upper class, those that had more. In verse 10, if you read that, it says that you could offer from the sheep or the goats. That would be like a middle class offering. And then in verse 14, it says that you can offer a, a turtle, two turtle doves or, a, I think, pigeons. I believe it. That's what, let me read that real quick. Um, turtle doves or young, or young pigeons. That's right. Okay. And that would be the lower class. See, so, so it doesn't matter your social status. God would, would provide a way for them to bring the offering to him. It doesn't matter our social status. See, God will provide whatever it may be right there for us. And he's saying, okay, now, you need to bring that to me. And then there, there we, we bring the offering. So I, I really like that. Now, if the rich man would bring two pigeons, that would never be accepted. So you can't fool God. You know, you could just go and say, well, I'm going to take these pigeons here and bring them. God knows. There's no fooling God when it comes to anything. And so if the rich man would bring even a sheep, then his offering would not be accepted, even though it's without blemish, and he goes through the same thing. It's, it's, it's killed at, at the altar. It's not accepted. So, so God lays these things out, and he just stands there, so to speak, or sits there and watches to see the heart of man. You know, what's the heart going to do? Because, you know, this is dealing with that. Bringing the offering for Cain and Abel was dealing with the heart. Now, there's five offerings seen in the first five chapters. The burnt offering... Now, in the King James, when you read the King James, you will see the meat offering. That's chapter 2. But it's actually the meal offering, and we'll get to that another time. Then there was the peace offering. Then you had the sin offering, chapter 4. And then you had the trespass offering. Each one of those offerings dealt with something different. Uh, and then there was, there was also an overlapping where sometimes they would bring a... Um, a meal offering and a uh, sin offering together. But those were the five, five offerings. Now, all these offerings here were offered at the brazen altar. Please pass those sheets. When she passes these sheets out, I want you to get a picture of this. And those of you that are closed will be able to see this a little better. Dave, move over here so you can share that with John. Hurry up, come on. Move faster. We're in a time limit here. Get one, bring one up. No, you can just pass a couple more on. Okay. Okay, so here's the basic thing. Can you see that? If you can't, you need to move up. These were the tents. So you see in numbers, all the tribes, three tribes on each side. Okay, and then this was the door. Uh, to the outer court. 
So what would occur was the, the Israelites would come in, and this is what we're looking at right here. This was the brazen altar, and, and um, some translations call it the brass altar, but it actually was bronze. There's a little difference there. Now, this was made of shittim wood, overlaid or covered with bronze, uh, and then, then you had uh, the grate. You see the grate there? And the grate, the grate had little rings attached to it, or it was actually all one, one piece. And you had the staves that went through there, and that's how they would carry it from place to place in the wilderness. So then you had, you had the altar. The altar was uh, seven and a half feet square, four and a half feet high, and on the corners it had these... Um, Help me, somebody. <laughs> horns, excuse me. Yes. <laughs> Little metal block. Okay. The horns of the altar. Now, when you look at this, all you see is this brazen altar. It looks pretty ornamental, doesn't it? Very, very ornamental. But I want to tell you something. That's really not how it looked. See, it looks really, really nice. Like, wow, that's a neat thing. That's not really how it looked. When the Israelites came in here, as soon as they came through this door, they saw that brazen altar, and they saw it drenched with blood, the blood of these animals that were sacrificed. This was not just an ornamental thing. This was an awesome, fearful-looking sight where where death and suffering occurred daily. Not so it's like a nice piece of furniture. The, the priest would pour blood along the sides of this. And we'll talk about that another time. And they probably poured it, part of the blood, on the horns of the altar also. So this was not something that's... Um, you know, well, this is a nice little piece of furniture. This was an awesome, fearful thing. A place of suffering and death. A place that reminded them of their own sin. When they would look and see that, you couldn't help but to think, the blood on that altar is shed because I am a sinful person. And it sits there right in the middle of the outer court, Inviting everybody to deal with their sin. Sitting right there. Sin must be dealt with. That's the first thing they saw when they came in that door. Their sin right before them. Now, As I said, there's all a typology to all this, you know. Um, you have this, this thing, and I don't know if we'll look at it later or not, but the, the, the sacrifice was put in the midst of the altar. In Revelation, you see that John says that he saw Jesus in the midst of the throne. There's just this parallel throughout Scripture. But there were these... 
should have hung this up somewhere. Now, in that, that the sheet that we passed out, it shows these horns. I don't really like that. That's how I got this off the internet. Um, it's showing these horns a, a little different way than I believe they really were. Uh, and they're showing the back open. And any, anything I've ever seen other than that always showed it as a, as a completely sealed box, but we don't know. We don't know for sure. But there were these horns, and I like this one here because this one here pictures these horns like this. These horns go out from the altar. They start going upward and outward. Two directions there. Now, where did I have that in my notes? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't even know if I have it. First of all, this was one piece with the altar. It wasn't a piece that was bolted on or attached later. It was all one, one piece with the entire uh, brazen altar, all one piece. That, I believe, represents power because they would take their sacrifices and bring them in there, and they would tie them off on that thing. And those horns had the power, to, if you will, to hold that sacrifice right there until it was killed. So the horns represented, first of all, the power of God. It takes the power of God to hold us, tie us, so to speak, to the altar when he's looking for a sacrifice tie you right there, you're not getting away. The power of God will hold you until the sacrifice is made. Now, as I said before, these go upward and outward. One meaning pointing upward to Christ, uh, toward the Father, and I have that scripture here somewhere. Oh, here it is, Hebrews 9.14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, how shall he purge your conscience or cleanse your conscience of dead works? So, so that this points to that which Christ did, points upward to, to the throne of God. The sacrifice that he made for uh, not just a covering, but for the removal of our sins. And then the outward direction, if you uh, look on, on your handout or in this, this here, there's one on each corner uh, of the altar point, pointing to every direction, so to speak, of the compass. The gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, by his sacrifice, the gospel of Jesus Christ has gone out in every direction to the four ends of the earth. 
So that's another typology here, just in the horns themselves. In uh, Acts 1.8, And ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Another scripture. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light to the Gentiles, that thou shalt be salvation unto the ends of the earth. Now, and when they set this up in the wilderness, so many interesting things. This was set up toward the east. So you had the entrance here to the holy place. Uh, this was pointed eastward. Now we know that, that the sun rises in the east. There's always a new day. Okay, and then that would mean that the, that the sun would set off the back side of the tabernacle, and then this side would be north. Now there, there's some scriptures in Exodus, and I, I think in Numbers, but I know in Exodus where it talks about the north quite a bit. And there is some symbolic representation to the north and whenever they sprinkled the blood, they sprinkled the blood and I think pulled the ashes. I'll have to, I haven't read that far ahead, but I, there, there is some significance to the north side of this. Um, Mount Zion on the sides of the north. You know, this is all uh, representative of certain things in the tabernacle. Now, just throw that in. Okay, now, let's go to... Verse 3. Now, with the first three offerings, which started at Leviticus 1.1 and went through Leviticus 3.17, we read in those three chapters, the law of approach when we are in fellowship with God. See, it's laying out what you needed to do. This is talking about when you're in fellowship with God. There, there is a way of approach there. First three chapters. They had to, to go through this thing. They were voluntary. Uh, the burnt offering, I believe I have that on my thing up here. It was a um, voluntary and was to make payment for sins in general. So each offering did something different. Uh, but there was a way of approach to where they had to do this thing the way God laid it out. It's not that they decided, well, I'm just going to do this offering. I'm right with God, and I'll do it the way I want. Oh, no, no. You had to do it the way God laid it out. Or once again, it was not accepted, even though it was a voluntary offering. So there was a, an approach to God when you were right with God, verse 3 uh, offerings, and then the last two offerings we'll get to eventually, there, there also was an approach to God, but that was when you were not in fellowship with Him. And you had, but, but either way, there was always uh, this way to come to Him that He had laid forth and kind of mapped out. And you had to follow that. In verse 3, if his offering be a burnt offering of the herd, 
let him offer a male without blemish, he shall offer it of his own voluntary will. See, this isn't something that's commanded for the person to do. But he had to do it at the, at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. So the purpose for the burnt offering, and you could write this down if you want, was to express devotion. Are you devoted to him? It was to express commitment. Are you committed to Jesus Christ? And it was to uh, express this complete surrender to God. I mean, that's quite a bit. Devoted, committed, and complete surrender. Boy, if God can get that out of all of us, I mean, he's done a work. But that was one of the things when they brought this offering in of their own voluntary will, that there was to be this commitment there. And, and, and that was to be internal. So even though God laid these, these particular laws out externally, he's dealing always internally. Even when he's dealing with the external, he's dealing with the internal. And so the heart had to be moving in a, a particular direction. Or there would, they would never even come to offer this particular uh, offering. Uh, so you had this voluntary offering. Now, there must be, first of all, a desire to please God in this thing. See, even though it wasn't required, you know, is it required for you to uh, read your Bible at night when you go home, when you come home from work? Is it say in the Bible that's, that you, it's commanded every night for you to read your Bible? No. Is it commanded that you be at church every week? There's no particular commandment. It says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. See, so there are certain things that in our heart, because of God, because he has touched us, become a voluntary thing with us. And they actually become a way of life. But, but see, that's a voluntary thing that we do, whatever that may be, that will help us to move toward him. See, everybody wants to run to the pastor, and I don't necessarily mean here, but just in general, and have them pray for them because this, this, and this. But I'm going to tell you something. If you walk with God, and you walk along in the pattern that he has shown you, and you have this commitment, you're, 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 this is this, this burnt offering here. You have that. God will see to you. He will provide. He will help. And a lot of things that you want to go to somebody else for, he will already take care of. Now, I'm not saying don't go to the pastor for prayer. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that God does things in the heart. God lays certain things out. And as we follow along in that, 
you're spiritually well. I mean, things are, are okay in, in here. You don't need someone fussing over you because, you know, God is at work in your life. You're, you're growing, you're maturing, you're moving along the way. You're, you're following a pattern that He has laid forth for you. So, there must be this desire in our heart to please Him. Now, the word voluntary here in verse 3 means a desire or delight. See, do you want to desire God? Do you want to delight Him? Well, then there is something that you have to bring. You have to have this, this commitment, this burnt offering. Say, there's something here should be within the heart that wants Him, wants to please Him, wants to sacrifice for Him, wants to give Him your time. He's more interested in your time sometimes than He is in your money. Now, there's a verse in... Um, Psalm 37, 4. It says, Delight thyself also in the Lord. The word delight means to be soft or pliable, and that's basically what we're talking about with the burnt offering. God wants a soft and pliable heart so that this offering will be brought to Him with a voluntary will, to accomplish that which He desires in you. See, this, I believe, uh, was something that, that God received. They did that um, for sins in general. But it also did something internally because of them bringing this with their own voluntary will to delight His heart, to please Him. And you cannot um, move that way and, and do, do that which pleases God, I believe, without this soft, pliable heart. See, so they're all interconnected. I mean, we don't have to sort these things out with our mind. We just need to, to step forth in the way that God has laid forth. And, you know, certain things, they just fall in, into place. Now, the second thing I have up here... They, they did this particular offering with, as a, a voluntary offering uh, as a desire to remain right, remain right with God. See, remember I said that this offering was, was given while they were right with God. So they, they, they just came and they were right with Him. And they wanted to remain right, and they wanted to be pure before God. Remain that way. Just like you come to church, and you know, your heart may be right with God today. But still, sometimes we come to the altar, and we, we stay before God, and we pray to Him, and we offer ourselves to Him, and we're, we're, we're right with God. We haven't, to our knowledge, done anything this week or today, or whatever, that was 
where the, the Spirit of God was convicting us of that. But we bring a voluntary offering to him. So in Second um, Chronicles, I'll read this verse. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him. I love this. And they sought him with their whole desire. With their whole desire. That's Second uh, Chronicles 15, 15. Now, <clears throat> I don't know what all that entails, seeking God with your whole desire. What does that mean? I mean when he looks at your heart and life, he sees if that is with, you know, when, you, when you're coming to him, is that with your whole desire or not? Some, somehow in this portion of scripture, he looked at the people's hearts. He said, they're coming with their whole desire. Whole desire. And then another verse, let's turn to Isaiah for a minute. Now, we're, we're still talking about this voluntary uh, will from verse 3. I found this verse, and I thought this verse was very interesting. Isaiah 61. Verse 1. <clears throat> The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The word acceptable in verse 2 is the same word as voluntary in this offering. So Jesus here he proclaimed the gospel voluntarily. Same thing. It was a voluntary offering to the Father. Coming from his heart to please the Father. Coming from this soft, pliable heart, a desiring to delight the Father with his whole desire. Now, th this voluntary thing that we see here in Isaiah 61 and in uh, Leviticus 1.3 uh, is a type of Christ who willingly performed the will of the Father and went to the cross and died voluntarily. Voluntary offering unto the Father. Now, the third thing is what I wanna, want you to really see. The burnt offering had to be done unto the Lord. Now let's go back to Leviticus. Verse 3. Or excuse me, verse 2. If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, and that's, we, go, we go through that part of the verse very quick, unto the Lord, that's it. See, unto, this word means, in, in the Hebrew, direction. It's showing everything about this word. When I was looking at, at that this morning, all the different definitions in the Brown Driver's Briggs lexicon 
every one of them showed some type of direction. So it's showing us a direction. And the direction is to the Lord. So every time that they had to bring or went to bring this offering, this had to be in the right direction unto the Lord. Now, it says in, in I think, verse, one of the verses we read, five or three, it said that it was offered before the tabernacle. Now, it wasn't right here before the door. It was back here, but it's still considered before the door of the tabernacle. And it is to be unto the Lord. Not just a physical direction, although that was there. They had to bring that animal right there before the tabernacle and offer it unto the Lord. But there was to be a direction in their heart where their heart wanted to please God and their heart wanted to move toward Him. Unto is a direction. The direction of their heart. Unto the Lord. Not, I want to sh you know, have this big show for everybody else that's around. I want the priest to think that I'm something and you know, my offering is just you know, the best today. The, you know, the, the best one that's come in. No, that would not be unto the Lord. But the direction of the heart was to be pointed toward Him. Very important. Very important for us. Whenever, whenever there is an offering to be made from our lives, it's not to be for a show to someone else. It's not to be uh, for any other reason, but with Him in our heart, pointed toward Him, the direction being Him, 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 Him. Not me, me, him. So that's a very, very important thing in this offering. And the, and the fourth thing, and then we're going to close, verse 3, um, the latter part of verse 3, it says, At the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. So this had to be done in the ordained place at uh, the door of the tabernacle. Nowhere else. They couldn't do it, as I said before, outside. They couldn't do it uh, in front of their tent. They couldn't do it on the backside of the tabernacle. It had to be done in the place that God said, and that is at the door of the tabernacle. So the Lord lays forth the directions... As they're followed, their hearts continue in this movement toward fellowship with God, and their hearts continue to be right with God. Now, we're going to continue with the burnt offering next week because there's, there's more I want to bring out uh, related to this. So, are there any questions? Make it an easy one. <laughs> For you? <laughs> we'll give you an easy, some easy homework. You've got to read the, um, the whole book in two translations. But you have, you know, like four or five weeks is fine. Six weeks. You have time. But did you read the first seven chapters? That's what I'm interested in. So, you know. Mainly the first seven chapters. Read it in two translations. And then an outline. Just for the first seven chapters.
for seven or an outline for Outline for, for the ones that are taking it for credit, and I want chapter outline throughout the whole book. Okay? Now, one of the reasons that it's good to commit to the classes, I mean, some of you have, have taken them for credit, and some of you think, what do I really need to take them for credit for? I'm never going to be preaching. Well, first of all, you don't know what God's going to do. But mainly, it's to get a person to commit to doing the work, the homework, and, and being here and uh, you know, learning. They'll learn if they're doing the, the outlines of all the, the chapters. But, but mainly, it's a commitment of the heart, not to me or to, to the Leviticus class, but it's a commitment to the Lord, just like the voluntary burnt offerings was a voluntary commitment. River shall flow, rivers of living.